When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Good morning. Imagine being at your lowest ebb. You are anxious, you are depressed, and you finally drum up the courage to ask for help. And you are told you will be waiting at least a year to be seen by clinical services. You'll meet a 31-year-old from County Westmeath who has experienced just that a little bit later. Also, the girl who is celebrating... Is it her 12th birthday or her 3rd birthday? It's leap day. And also, maybe you should knock on the door of the boss. If you're working an extra day this year, should you be getting a pay rise? Hmm. The rights experts are here from half past 11, including the lady living in a mobile home and is wondering, can she qualify for some of the household benefits? Hmm. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Where will we begin? Irish Times is first paper to hand. It says, Senior HSE Executive Secures... Hope you're sitting down. €389,000 exit package. So this is a man who was employed as a director of strategy within the health service executive. Dean Sullivan is his name. He has spent six years in various roles with the HSE. And apparently his former position is now redundant. So on the way out, he was given a golden parachute worth just under 400 grand. And as you've heard a lot about recently, RTE tends to give rather generous handshakes to executives on the way out the door. And, well, is this a public service culture? Because I can absolutely assure you, if you are in a private sector job and you are made redundant, statutory is limited to €600 Euro per week and you are paid two weeks' salary per year of service plus a week. You would not see the colour of €389,000. Maybe a tenth of it. Maybe a tenth of it. That's front of the Irish Times today. Oh, this is hard to process. Dylan, the little ten-year-old boy who passed away tragically after being struck by a vehicle in Shannon in County Clare on Sunday. His photograph is everywhere, including on the front of the Irish Daily Star. And it says, Dylan got to meet his little brother. And you see, newborn baby who only arrived into the world last Tuesday. His name is Shane. He would have grown up with Dylan ten years apart, but for tragedy striking. Oh, the pain and the agony for his parents who have to obviously focus on a newborn child while they grieve the loss of their elder child. I can't process that. Sorry. <clears throat> Irish Independent. Fair deal scheme changes risk. Uh, I'll read that again. Fair deal scheme changes 
risk adding to urban-rural divide, Minister told. The Fair Deal is the nursing home subvention scheme. And depending on how much money you have in the bank, what your income is, what your assets are, the state will pay a portion of your nursing home costs. And in effect, the less you have, the more the state will contribute. And until recently, if you rented out your home when you moved into the nursing home, you would have to pay a portion. At one time, it was 80% of that rent towards the cost of your care. And many people decided to leave their house vacant as a result. First of all, the whole notion of renting out what has been the family home for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that's a process in itself that many people don't get to the end of. And secondly, there was no real financial incentive. Now that's been abolished. You can keep all of the rental money, the hope being that more homes will come onto the market at a time when rental properties are desperately needed. However, there were officials within the Department of Health who were concerned a gap would emerge between homeowners in, let's say, desirable areas, Dublin city centre might be an example, and those who live in the back of beyond. And those in the back of beyond would have a very difficult time renting their home for any sort of meaningful value. And those who have a home in a desired area will actually profit from the nursing home scheme. I'm not sure if that's an entirely valid concern. There's always going to be a difference in asset values between Dublin, the Midlands, other parts of the country. If you happen to be fortunate to own a home in a very sought-after part of the country, you will benefit in ways that people who don't have that asset can't. Anyway, that's front of the Irish Independent today. Is there anything interesting inside? Front pages are rather gloomy today. Ultra-processed food. What is ultra-processed food? Think cereals. Protein bars which are marketed as being good for you. Fizzy drinks, ready meals, fast food in general. And in the UK and the US, more than half of the average diet contains ultra-processed food. So, is it good for you? No. But does it do you any harm? Well, the British Medical Journal has published a rather worrying study showing ultra-processed food is directly linked to 32 harmful effects to your health, including a higher risk of heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, impacts your mental health adversely, and ultimately results in an earlier death. There's a fitness influencer, Eddie Abu, and he goes around with protein bars and chocolate bars and all of these different shakes and he calls them shit. And I think he was ahead of the curve because essentially that's what the British Medical Journal is saying as well. So the moral of the story is reduce the amount of ultra-processed food you are eating. That's in the Irish Times if you want to read more information about it. The switch to electric vehicles. It's a rather testy time in the second-hand EV market. It's a bit like betting on stocks at the moment. The values are changing day in and day out, and generally they're heading south because there's been an influx of 
new competition from China produced at lower prices and as well as that, some of the bottlenecks created by COVID, those supply issues have eased and supply and demand influences price. Anyway, we've known for some time that the government plans to get a million electric vehicles onto the roads by the year 2030 and they are very much reliant on motor taxes to prop up the exchequer, along with income tax and corporation tax and that and so on. But the cost of achieving that goal by 2030 will be 4.4 billion euro of lost taxes to the exchequer every year. So here's the big headache. If you are in the Department of Finance... If you are Michael McGrath, the minister, you're going to scratch that head of yours and you're going to ask, hmm, where do I find 4.4 billion euro for motorists if I can't levy petrol and diesel, if I can't have higher VRT on those emitting toxic cars? You can't apply it to electricity because then you punish everybody whether you own an EV or not. So where do you find the extra tax? And you know, as sure as night follows day, they will find a way to levy the extra tax. Irish Independent, if you want to read more today. What are you doing for Leap Day? Well, if you're a lady, listen to this. This is how you can get something meaningful from your man. Because in some countries, not alone are women permitted to promote, uh, propose marriage... But there is actually a fine, there is a penalty if the man declines your proposition. For instance, in Denmark, if you say no to a lady on leap day, the penalty is 12 pairs of gloves. In Finland, you have to give her enough fabric to make a skirt. In Scotland, it's a silk gown. But I don't believe there is any such law in Ireland where you would have to give something uh, other than, I would imagine, a get-out-of-jail brownie point kind of a present because if your lady is down on one knee today and you say, no, you are in trouble, man. You are in big, big trouble. So if you know somebody who has popped the question, not necessarily today, but on a previous leap day, I'm wondering, did anybody get married on leap day? And if so... What anniversary are you celebrating? Comment at your leisure, please. Final one for you. Does your accent matter when you go for a job interview? I think our gut would say yes. You've always got this suspicion that an interviewer might take a dislike to you for any reason, whether you wear glasses, whether you have blonde hair, whether you are too tall, whether you sound a certain way, that makes sense. So according to the Irish Independent and clinical psychologist Stephanie Regan, more and more HR departments and recruiters are taking training in unconscious bias. And so she issues a whole set of instructions. First of all, speak clearly and slow down. But you sound the way you sound, so don't become too uh, concerned about your accent. Your accent shouldn't make a difference, she says. It will. We all know it will. Also, when you're filling out your CV, don't give an address 
Now that's a new one. She instead suggests just list a location. Say you are in Leinster or Connacht or wherever you happen to be. Be general. So they don't know if you're from a rough part of town or a really fancy part of town and they can't judge you accordingly. And then career consultant Angela Burke says the biggest mistake that applicants make when searching for a job is not being concise on your CV. Rambling. Going on for too long. Bit like a certain radio presenter on a newspaper review, says you. Got a topic you want us to cover? Email Midlands Today at midlands183.com. Oliver Scally is a beautiful, brave little boy who is fighting a rare disease that affects only four people in a million. And you can help his family through a difficult journey ahead if you can donate to this very worthy cause. I want you to meet his aunt, Ellen. Ellen, good morning. Hi, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. Tell us a little more about Oliver. So Oliver, like you said, is 19 months old and he was diagnosed with uh, Wiscott-Aldridge syndrome uh, back in November of 2023. What is that? Yeah, it's actually fitting that today is Global Rare Disease Day. Um, So Wiscott-Aldridge syndrome, it's an extremely rare genetic uh, immunodeficiency. Like you said, it affects up to four in a million people, and it's it's mainly affecting just boys. Um, and how it, does it, it affect him? So it affects the functions of his white blood cells. So people with WAS are more prone to infections. They have a reduction in platelet size and number, so we need platelets uh, to, to clot our blood. Um, the average range for normal people uh, children and adults is anything from 150,000 to 450,000. Mm. And over the last couple of months, Oliver's platelets have gotten as low as 1,000. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. dramatic. It's, How it's, treatable it is, is it, Ellen? So um, with the bone marrow transplant, it is, there, is a, there is a brilliant chance. Like there is 90% is what's, is what's coming back, chance of it. So that, that's what we're all hoping for. Um, which is so along with that, like there, there's bleeding. It's the bleeding that happens for no reason. It's bruises that appear for no reason and severe eczema. So Oliver has the most severe case of WAS, which is called classic WAS. Um, like I'm not, a, I'm not a medical expert, so I don't know. No, the, but you know I, what I, I mean? The ins and outs of it. To imagine no. how uncomfortable and how painful yes. and how distressing it must be. And yeah. his mood in all of this, what's he like? He's a little tiger, so he is. He is, even at his worst, he, he had a smile. Um, now, his, his parents have been with him throughout. Uh, January was a very, very tough month for, for Oliver. Nice. Um, he cut uh, teeth like normal children his age do. And on the 4th of January is, is when the more serious part of it kicked off in where uh, Oliver started to bleed and they couldn't stop it. So his parents brought him to Mullingar General Hospital. And from that then, he got platelet infusions, he got transfusions. I am still in shock because I am obviously ignorant to the whole thing and didn't realise there was so much got to do with transfusions. I thought there was one type, but there's not. There's so many different types that they do with it. 
Um, so, so that's full on for his parents caring yes. for him, meeting his needs. And yes. he's not their only child. He's not their only child. They have uh, three other daughters. So they have Sarah, Joy and Roisin. And um, they were cared for. They're, they're blessed in fairness to them. They have great grandparents. They have five aunties and they have five uncles who are more than willing to, to pick up the childcare and anything that they need, just support. We can't do anything else for them, but we can try our very best just to support them. So they have a good support network around them. They've got a they good do. prospect for treatment. But life doesn't stop and bills have to be paid and obviously disruption like this must be affecting them financially. Well, yeah, it, it has been. Grace Grace is a secondary school teacher. She's an art teacher in Mercy Ballymahan. And originally Oliver was diagnosed with ICP uh, back in September, which is um, it, it's, it's where the, the blood doesn't clot. Uh, so she had to stop working due to this because Ollie was more prone to bleeds and falls, uh, bleeds from a fall, we'll say. Aidan is a self-employed builder, so obviously when Aidan is in Newcastle or when he's been in Crumlin with Ollie, he, he hasn't been able to work either. So it, ha- it has had um, an effect on them and a lot of their medication is not licensed in Ireland, so it, it isn't actually covered by the, we'll say the medical card or the drugs payment system. Wow, that um, is a horrible gap to have. That the medicine it, is licensed, obviously, but not covered under... N- not because some of it is not covered, yes. yeah. Um, all right, so all yeah. in all, the financial headaches are adding to what is otherwise a very unpleasant situation. But um, what can we do to help? Well, it's more... They're overwhelmed with the, the fundraiser. Um, the level of support from the community has started out with two lads, Tommy uh, Keena and Paul McGahey, and it's just grown. And it, it only went live last week, and it is absolutely amazing how much has been raised. But it, it, for, for us right now, it's not even a, about the fundraiser. It's about just raising the awareness for the syndrome, because when Oliver was diagnosed back in November, we, we had Googled, and Dr. Google is a very, very grim place. Yeah for reading and because it's so rare in Ireland um, it was, it's, it's more to raise the awareness that when unfortunately another family is going to get a diagnosis of this syndrome that th- there are people that are, have been through it and that are going through it and it, it's to make a link for them so that they can have the supports in place because like I said Google was not a nice read for us so uh, the fundraiser itself is online. It's an I donate. Uh, every share will get to somebody, even if you can't donate. I know it's a hard time for everybody, but um, if you can share it and, and spread the awareness of Wiscott Aldridge syndrome and, and also for Oliver's campaign so that it gives Aidan and Grace the opportunity to not worry about the small things because this is a bigger fight. Like so. Rare diseases are such a challenge because individually there may not be big numbers for any one condition, but collectively the number of people in Ireland who have a rare illness is staggering. Yeah. And of course the financial model for pharmaceutical companies is they're going to research the conditions 
for which they can sell treatment to the most people. And the ones that are more marginal, unfortunately, are less well researched and invariably are more expensive than when a product is developed. So it's a horrible dilemma. But at least in this case, uh, there is a clear treatment path. Um, And I'm wondering, you mentioned he was initially diagnosed with something else. Are there potentially others who have this condition, but the knowledge just isn't in the medical community to identify it? Well, it's so uh, with Scott Aldridge, it it presents, there's four different types of it. Uh, Like I said, I only know about Oliver's type, which is classic was, it's the most serious. So the the symptoms of that would be bleeding for no apparent reasons. It'd be bruising like a, a normal toddler would take a fall. But like we're talking about extreme bruises, um, petechia. So they're like little little spots under the skin. They're like little pinpricks. And and Oliver going back to when Oliver was about six seven months, Oliver would have had this, but because he had none of the other symptoms at the time, it was just kind of passed off along with the bruises. Ah, oh, he's starting to walk. You know yourself a busy boy at that age and bumping themselves. Um, so that, that's what he first presented with in Mullingar was the, the bleeding and the petechia. Then in October last year, he uh, developed eczema. And eczema is a, is a massive like trigger. It's a, it's a red flag. And unfortunately, this got infected. So this led Mullingar General Hospital to link in with Crumlin Children's Hospital, who in turn linked in with Newcastle. Um, the, the Great North Children's Hospital where Oliver is right now in Newcastle and that's when they decided to test for WAS um, and that's how we've come with our diagnosis. So yeah, there are loads of people in Ireland with um, ITP. I'm fierce bad at uh, pronouncing, uh, as I said, I'm not, I'm not fine. I can manage ITP <laughs> as well, so we'll stick with that. <laughs> we'll stick with ITP good stuff. So that's basically where the blood doesn't clot properly and um, the antibodies are attacking a person's platelets. Mm. And, and that's originally what he... Now, for that in itself, yeah, that's extremely dangerous because they are at risk of bleeding. But they, they can grow out of it after a number of years. So it's um, their body to can distinguish stop between that between the and two. Yes. Wiscott Adrich syndrome. Was, that's correct, again, yeah. is probably the easier acronym Was to remember. Was easier, W-A-S. yeah. <laughs> that's right. I wish you the best. When does his uh, treatment get underway in earnest? So Oliver left on Grace and Aidan. They left on Sunday and um, he has started stage one. So it's called a journey. So the first stage of Oliver's journey is chemotherapy. So Oliver has started chemotherapy and he's in good spirits. Um, he's, he's doing good. Um, and then his next stage, his beautiful sister Joy goes out next Tuesday and she has her, she's the donor, a match donor. And she has her operation next Wednesday morning and fingers crossed that everything goes to plan. Um, Oliver will have his transplant then next Wednesday afternoon. And then, please God, that's the start of his new life. Absolutely. Ellen, thank you very much for raising awareness of the condition and for sharing the story. Thank you so much for having us on. We'll appreciate it. Ellen Scally, Oliver's aunt from Moivore in County Westmeath. It's coming up on 18 minutes to 10. 
Men, time to plan your wedding? Look your very best with Guy Clothing Tullamore, the leading clothing destination for every groom. Get in-store tailoring for the perfect fit every time. Follow Guy Clothing Tullamore on social media. <laughs> Angela says, Will, stop stirring. Are the salaried staff of Midlands 103 getting an extra day's pay? <coughs> You're breaking up there, Angela. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, also, since Angela happens to run career coaching matters in Mullingar, she has a view on the accent story in the Irish Independent. And she says, accent is not an issue for me and never was. Clarity of speech is important. Diction, pace, projection. So sounding confident. Can people clearly understand what you are saying? That's what matters. And as far as CVs, she says, definitely a relevant, focused CV is necessary. Padding is not required. Including your address? Well, that's up for discussion, she says. Love the Midlands. Love Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. And what age are you today? Because it's leap day. Only comes around every four years. Well, I want to say hello to Mary Creevy in Grange in Mullingar. Morning, Mary. Hi, you, Will. How are you? Big day in your house. Yes, the big day. Yes, yeah. Who's celebrating? Well, I have the birthday girl here beside me. I oh. took her out of school for the sake of the phone call oh, with you as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Not a load of birthday. But a day, well, not quite a full day off school, but at least a morning off. Yes, she, and well, she normally goes to after school as well. So she's taken her after school off to, to make the most of it. Okay, who have we got? Emily. Hey, Emily, happy birthday. Thank you. Are you three today? Uh, yeah. So you sound very mature for a three-year-old, I must say. Yeah. It's actually, well, it is technically your third birthday, but you are 12 years on this planet, is that right? That's right. So, how are you celebrating? Um, well, every four years when it's not a leap year, I'd have two birthdays, the 28th and the 1st of March. And when it is a leap year, I'd celebrate my birthday on the 29th. Oh, I'm curious. Do you get two sets of presents? Two cakes as well. <laughs> You're able to eat two cakes. No, it won't be finished, though. And what do your friends say? I'm sure they're jealous that you get to celebrate twice in a regular year. Um, some of my friends would say that it's not fair. And when I was smaller, my cousins used to say that they had their leap year birthday, too. Everybody wants what you have. But they can't have it. You can enjoy every year the benefit of two birthdays. And then when the leap year rolls around, how do you make today extra special? Oh, this year would have been the official birthday will. She gets the extra special treat. So there's always uh, probably an additional uh, unexpected present that she might receive. Or we'd go off somewhere and celebrate that way and kind of bits and bobs so there's always the extra treat on the on the bigger birthday <laughs> Would I be right in saying Emily that you're an eensy beansy tiny Nile Horn fan? Yeah 
So might Niall Horan feature in your birthday in some way? How? Did I hear something about that, Mary? Uh, quite possibly, yes, yeah, indeed. I think you might you might break the news to her, will will you? Oh no, I'd, I'd much rather you did it. Oh well, she does. She tell tell Will what you got for your birthday yesterday. Actually, as a small surprise, I got a Manchester um, United jersey because the sister's boyfriend is really into Liverpool. And we met a mad yesterday getting a, getting a Manchester United jersey. Oh, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So, well, how did he react when he saw you in the Man U jersey? He says, what are you doing, what are you doing? Don't put that on. Yeah, well, you parade around in it now. <laughs> well, I'm very much um, wishing you a happy birthday. And I'm not alone, by the way. Uncle Andy has been in touch. And oh, well. Uncle Andy says that you go over to his house and you have chocolate fondue and pancakes and that there's homemade pizza but you only like is it the cheese on the pizza yeah and he says it's like mount everest in cheese don't believe him he just met him he's lying he's not the liverpool fan is he i don't know is he i don't think he really supports too many footballs at all He's not really sporty. Well, he wouldn't be into the the team team leagues at all. I don't think now. <laughs> well, guys, have a great day, and enjoy Manchester. Thank you very much, Will. Take care. That's Mary Creevy from Mullingar, along with Emily, who is celebrating her birthday. She's three, or twelve. Take your pick. Sun is shining. Sky is blue. Hope you've got nice plans for your day wherever you may be. And that you don't have too much processed food wherever you're going. Because that new story from the British Medical Journal shows the many ill effects of processed food, ultra-processed food, on your health. But as Hilda points out, when Lidl recently did the big announcement of price cuts, she says, how many of them were sweets? And ultra-processed food. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Good morning. Why are twice as many first-year students dropping out of college compared with pre-COVID? Also today, fancy a 25-kilometre round trip because of a road closure. Well, that's what some people in Athlone are facing. And the rights expert helps with... Bad neighbours, among other headaches. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. When you text or WhatsApp, 083 30 10 103 is the best way to reach me. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. When you're in your darkest time, and unfortunately at some point in your life you are going to experience anxiety, stress, depression. It happens to a lot of us. And you finally decide, I need help. And you reach out, you talk to the HSE, the people who are supposed to help you, and you are told 
you are going to wait at least a year before help will come. Where does that leave you? Well, I want you to meet a woman who is going to find this conversation very, very difficult because of her anxiety, but she's nonetheless braving her nerves anyway. Laura O'Neill, good morning. Good morning, Will, and thank you so much for having me on to have this conversation. Um, I very much appreciate the opportunity to speak about uh, mental health in, in this country. You're 31 years of age, you live in Delvin, and I suppose a little bit of background about how you have coped over the years with different challenges relating to mental health. Yeah, so um, I have been kind of diagnosed with struggling with my mental health um, since I was about 18 years old. Um, But I think I've had anxiety all of my life, um, really. Uh, But around that time when I first sought help, we kind of, I had a a difficult year then. We had, you know, leave insert and um, uh, a couple of uh, very tragic deaths in my family. Mm. Um, and I was really struggling. So um, I first sought help then and started to kind of learn about mental health and um, how to cope with it. Um, and then I've kind of kept trying to uh, learn up until till this point. Um, but I suppose... Uh, you why seem to have I'm tried talking... a number of different techniques as well. You, you didn't just go down, let's say, the medication route. You looked at cognitive behavioural therapy, you you worked on yourself, would it be fair to say? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I definitely with cognitive behavioural therapy and um, going to speak to psychologists and doctors and um, and being educated on like, the causes of anxiety and, um, you know, whether it be having too big of a cup of coffee in the morning or something like that that could trigger it, you know, um, just trying to, to educate myself on, on how to be better about that and how to, how to deal with it better. And sometimes working on yourself and being mindful and deploying all of those techniques can get you through a difficult patch. On other occasions, you need that bit extra support around you. And we hear a lot from the HSE about the resources that should be available, uh, the need to reach out. and. What was your experience of trying to access clinical services when you needed them most? Well, so when I first started, you know, it was it was actually great. Um, it was a lot easier then. Um, but most recently, um, last year, when I was really going through a, a really tough patch, um, I got in touch with my doctor and uh, they put me through to the HSC there. And I got a letter back um, which stated that the waiting list was a year long, um, at least, um, to to get to speak to anybody. And um, then I started speaking out about that to friends and family and and engaging their experiences. And uh, in Westmead, they had all had the same experience of having to wait a year, and some in kind of much worse um, mental health spaces than myself as well. Um, And, you know, thankfully, we have been able to to get through it and have been able to to wait so long or wait that long but um for a lot of people i i think that this just it is too long and we are it's literally a life and death situation for a lot of people um well obviously sometimes there are chronic conditions that have to be treated recurringly over time what it sounds like you experienced was a more acute 
episode where you needed support immediately? Yes, um, immediately, but also kind of chronically. I, I, um, but I was lucky, I think, in that when I reached out to friends and stuff, I had support there and people to check in and make sure that I was okay and that I was still going and um, that I wouldn't be kind of on my own while I was really, really struggling. At this point, I suppose, for transparency, we should point out a political connection because you intend to run in the local elections in the Kinnegad electoral area in June and you're doing so under the Ain2 banner and therefore it's an opposition party at the moment and the nature of opposition is to try and find ways to, uh, I suppose, poke holes in policy but also suggest ways in which policy can be improved. What's your take on the local services in your area and critically, how would you fix them? Gosh, um, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think that the, the I think that the the, the staff, the doctors, um, and the psychologists are all doing great. Um, I have had no issue. You know, when I went to my my GP, um, and we knew that the 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 list was going to be quite long, and um, he made sure that I had kind of an online service to be connected to, um, which kind of would tide me over in the meantime. Um, but I think that really people need people to be connected to. Um, so I would like to see more of a recruitment in the in the area of psychology and psychiatry services here. Uh, I would love to see um, those waiting lists just brought down um, and to have kind of an emergency care uh, situation for people that are, are really struggling like that as well. I'm curious, Laura, Politics can be a rough and tumble sort of a sport. And now with social media more than ever before, you are accessible and people can comment and will very freely on what they think of you, not just your policies. It can be very personal. Yeah. Does that concern you from a mental health perspective? Yes, um, and that was that was a huge part of why I was very reluctant to election as well. Um, it wasn't something that I necessarily wanted to put myself into, um, but it's because of these things that I'm really passionate about that I thought, you know, if not you, then who? Somebody has to has to try and go and change things. Um, and so I've, you know, found ways to cope with that myself. Like I have all notifications turned off on my social media, so I, I go into it. In, you know, with the intention of, of uh, seeing what people are saying and and knowing that it might not be the, the greatest thing, but I'm prepared for that mentally going in. Um, but it is, it's a real struggle for, for a lot of people to, to see um, kind of the criticism that comes about on social media. Um, but we have to be in, in this kind of line of work. I think we have to be open to that too. You know, people have valid concerns and um this is just how, how they're learning how to uh, voice them. Mm. I suppose there's always that debate is the most constructive way to knock on the door, to walk into a clinic, to have a conversation with a politician across the table. How helpful is it to sometimes vent on social media? You, you can make yeah. absolutely great arguments and there are fantastic debates on social as well. But some of it crosses a line nevertheless you, you've made the decision to go and to put your 
poster up on the polls to help your name on the ballot paper and to try and tackle some of the issues of concern, including the provision of psychology services within the HSE. Laura O'Neill, thank you very much for taking our call. Thank you so much for having me. Laura will be a local election candidate in the Kinnegad area for Aintu this coming June. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Somebody needs a good kick in the pothole. You should see the state of the roads around the Midlands. And despite so many people highlighting the dangers in recent weeks, many of them are still like a deadly kind of Swiss cheese. Holes absolutely everywhere. Well, in the Star newspaper today, you see a picture provided by Jenny Whelan from Road. And Jenny has highlighted one in particular that is going to kill somebody, she says. And she has shared on social media a video of driving around the village. And to be fair, Road seems to be the epicentre of these potholes. North Offaly in general is not in the condition it should be. And you can see that as you drive around the variation from one council area to another. But she has told the Star newspaper, we as a community in Road are tired of fighting to get our roads made safe. We need help before somebody is killed. I almost crashed due to an oncoming car heading straight for me as they automatically swerved. As you do, as instinct kicks in to avoid one of the many craters on the road. And she says, I managed to pull my steering wheel back just at the last minute and literally could have been killed. And anyway, she says the entire community is fed up sending reports to Offaly County Council and there are many projects around road, as people have pointed out in terms of wind farms and other large-scale construction, which is not making the situation any safer. And you would imagine the rates that these companies will be paying should, should be used to pay for repairs. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be happening. Are you fed up? I know a lot of people are fed up. Comment, please. Where is there a road that needs attention? Bread and butter issues. That's what will trip you up in politics. Take care of the bread and butter issues. Anyway, still on the agenda today. Why twice as many first-year students are dropping out of college compared with the pre-COVID period? The rights experts will be here to deal with bad neighbours. And how do you fancy a 25-kilometre round trip because of a road closure? Well, that's what some people in the Athlone area are facing, and you'll hear why. It's being described as a case study in how not to manage projects like this. Half past ten on the Midlands Today Show. And still on the agenda today, the college dropout rate increasing sharply over a two-year period. Also, the plan to pump money into one regional town. In what way? Which town and how will it benefit? Plus, the rights experts shall be here from half past 11. And if you haven't already asked a question, very easy to do so. 
for instance, passports on the agenda. Bad neighbours, or more accurately, dirty neighbours. And the employer who has refused your holiday request but won't give you a reason. Can they do that? It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Awfully Older People's Network invites you to a rambling house evening of music, song, story and crack at the Phoenix Bar on O'Connor Square in Tullamore on Thursday the 7th of March, 3.30, excuse me, 7.30pm and admission is €10 payable on the door. The proceeds will benefit Awfully Family Carers and for details call Molly on 087 291 4302. Edenderry Livestock Mart invites you to their calf sale tomorrow with intake from 9 in the morning. Sale starts at 11.30. Collection service is available, so you can inquire further on 086 198 2553 or go to Edenderry Livestock Mart on Facebook. Coralstown Kinnegad GAA. Look forward to another monster drive-in bingo this Sunday at 3 in the Kinnegad GAA grounds the prize pot is €7,000, including a jackpot of €2,000, which has to go on the day. The glamorous Buttons and Bows fashion sale in aid of Stokel's awfully cancer support takes place in Mukla Community Centre, Sunday next, 12 to 5, with raffle tickets, spot prizes and coffee shop on the day. Proceeds benefit Dochus Offaly Cancer Support. Admission is €5, Euro, and you can check out more details on Facebook. The Farm Peat Project invites primary and secondary school students to get creative and join the Love Your Wellies competition. Telling the story of Ireland's peat landscape through art and many cash prizes for winning entries, so get yours in. Deadline Friday the 26th of April. Check out farmpeat.ie for more details. Finally for now, a dinner dance in aid of Infinity Friends, the social club for children with autism, will be held Saturday week, March 9th, in the Shamrock Lodge Hotel, Athlone. The guest speaker will be Adam Harris of As I Am. Music is by The Big Deal, and reception, drinks reception, starts at 6.30pm. Get your ticket from Cunningham's Chemist in Monksland. And if you want to check any of those details again, just go on to midlands103.com, click on the community diary. And if I left something out that's happening in your area, Marina hits me very hard when I miss something. So do give her a call on 0818 300 103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie. The home of the Midlands Today Show. Right here. Let's turn it up. Monday to Friday from 9am. Midlands 103. Fancy a 25-kilometre round trip because of a road closure? Bad enough maybe for a day or two, but residents in Athlone are facing this for much, much longer. Is it for the greater good? Let's find out more in the next few minutes. But first, college dropout rates. In some courses, it can be high and others low, but there tends to be an average. And in 2019-2020, that academic year, it was about 9%. 9% of students wouldn't progress on to second year. 
But whatever happened in the two intervening years, come the 21-22 academic year, that jumped to 15%, nearly 7,000 students dropping out. Now let's pick the brain of Trassa Fox. She is the head of student counselling at TUS, the Technological University of the Shannon. Trassa, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What do you suspect is going on in this trend reported by the Higher Education Authority? Oh, well, I suppose I think it's, it's would we say, pandemic. <laughs> I think the obvious one um, there in terms of, you know, um, the experience of students uh, during that time uh, where they were studying and learning remotely um, and, and you know, the, the restrictions meant that they 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 were on Zoom. Mm. They they weren't connecting with each other. They weren't around each other. And um, they hadn't been in school either. Um, in in their secondary school experience. So, it has created, I suppose, what we're seeing is a level of kind of difficulty around engaging and connecting, and that's with each other. There there certainly seems to be lower levels of of um, enjoyment of the college experience of being around each other and being with each other. We saw that very very gradually come back after the universities and colleges reopened after the, the pandemic restrictions, you would it was notable that there were fewer students hanging around the social spaces, you know, in the students' union or the, the student canteen areas, etc. Now that has come back to a degree, um, but to a degree. Mm. I think there's so many students who are commuting. We've how got else, significant numbers. How else would it manifest? That's interesting that the social spaces were empty. Or what, what else would you have noticed? Um, I, I think that you know. I think we have to understand that, that around the, the the point in time that the pandemic happened for the young people who were coming, who were in college and and were coming into college at the time that the HEA uh, uh, data is referring to, um, the the focus, the psychological focus of that time is their own peer group. It's not us, the footy duddy parents. It's not. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the focus. That's their developmental task, if you want, psychologically, is to be around each other and to learn. Um, life lessons yes. being around each other learn the life lessons of how do you negotiate um, a breakup of a friendship how do you negotiate you know outgrowing your friends that you had from first year how to negotiate where you seem to be heading in different directions emotionally and psychologically with your friends with your peers um, never mind the romantic relationships and sexual relationships around that time so that is a key driver for, for teenagers that's they're hardwired to do that at that particular period of time it didn't happen. They weren't around each other. So so all of the negotiations around managing, you know, breakup of friendships or de- declining friendships and, and moving between friendship groups and all of that developmental piece at the time did not happen. Um, of course, so, that so is a milestone, isn't it, in your development? That huge. When you leave huge. secondary school and you go off to college, it's a period of reinvention for many. And those old connections can be severed or at least wither. Um, and those which endure, obviously, might endure for life. But it's a, nearly a grief as well. Um, it's Completely. a roller coaster of emotion. It's a roller coaster. And it can be, uh, sometimes you, you, you would find this with first years coming in, it's kind of like they're, they're between two lands. They're, they've left the land, if, especially if they've moved away from going to college, they've left the land where their friends, their their previous friendships are, their previous supports, family being part of that, and friendships. 
and they're in that no man's land for a period of time where they haven't formed really strong, really solid new supports. Um, and, and that can be very, very isolating. Now, pile that on, on top of maybe a very isolated experience that they might have had for the preceding 18 months or two years um, during the pandemic. Um, so, so what we're seeing is much greater levels of loneliness of isolation. And that applies to not just first year students, but into second and third year students. I think the other thing we need to consider, though, is economics, Will. Um, if you look at, again, during the pandemic, where a lot of these young people would and could have been out working in part-time jobs, working in hospitality industries, developing their social skills, working in restaurants, in, in, in um, retail, working in hotels, etc. That was all absent for them. So those opportunities around learning, around being around people, uh, was also absent. But the economics meant that they didn't get to, to save money yeah, to go to so college. The, the economics that would get you through those lean winter <clears> months <throat> when you're not working, but you're in college. They didn't have those reserves and, and then, to dip into. Exactly. And then if we look at the, the maybe the, the socioeconomic profile of maybe, I know the technological universities were specifically named as having higher dropout rates. We're, we're talking about the socioeconomic um, scenario for, for the technological university areas. Um, it's very likely that an awful lot of the families, the parents um, in those settings uh, were receiving maybe pandemic unemployment payments. And, and you know, yourself, you know, your parent, you're thinking about saving a bit of money for, for the first child or second child going to college well in advance of when they actually arrive at that point in time. So, so we've a that couple was absent. Of, we've a couple of possible reasons. And your first, certainly around the emotional piece, that was borne out in a separate survey. The higher education figures don't pick up the whys. But another why, study yeah. in 2022, mm-hmm. and they asked 40,000 students um, it found personal or family reasons family. to be mm-hmm. the most common factor in those who considered quitting. But there is one mm-hmm. other matter we haven't talked about, and it was much publicised and, and debated, and it was contentious at the time, the notion of grade inflation because of how the Leaving Cert in those years was marked and whether somebody maybe entered a course that academically they were ill-equipped for because of that grade inflation. How much, if any, do you suspect that to be a factor? Uh, my honest answer is that I don't know. But what I do know is um, <clears throat> the absenteeism and the lack of engagement, certainly from talking to colleagues um, on the academic side, um, they would be certainly indicating that that absenteeism not being present in in the, the lecture theatre or the lab or whatever is going on, um, there certainly seems to be a higher rate of that than there would have been uh, pre-pandemic. So <clears throat> whether you've arrived in with the grades that you would have got outside of grade inflation or not, you certainly have a far higher chance of succeeding in your chosen course if you're there, if you're attending lectures and attending the labs. Um, and, and so I think we're seeing some of the, the fallout from that. But again, we need to go back and and, and um, interrogate that. Why why aren't students attending in the same way that they used to? And and I do think economics, I do think commuting, I think the lack of accommodation, they're all absolutely factors in that. Finally, again to repeat, there is a lag on these figures from the Higher Education yes. Authority. It referred in its most recent data to 
the academic year 21-22. Since then, we've obviously mm-hmm. had 22-23 and a good chunk already of 23-24. What's your sense of whether the trend has maintained or has it reversed? Um, I, I honestly can't answer that in terms of the trend, um, <clears throat> whether it's, the trend has actually changed. What I can speak to, though, is I suppose the, the universities, the colleges have really doubled down in their efforts to, to try and, and um, engage with students, try and engage with those students, for instance, in, in TUS alone, in TUS Cross, actually, across TUS, um, very concerted efforts around engaging students who may not perform well, maybe in their first semester exams. Um, or their first year exams. So, so there's a really double down effort in terms of really connecting with those students and encouraging them to to, to re-engage and engage um, maybe differently in terms of attempting repeat exams, in terms of staying engaged with their college, with their their academic staff, with their departments. Um, so so I, universities are really, really well aware of this and I think they really are, you know, really doubling down in their efforts to, to address that disengagement, that that um, isolated uh, piece that students might be experiencing. Trassa, grateful for your time and thank you for taking the call. Thanks very much, Will. Take care. Trassa Fox is Head of Student Counselling at the Technological University of the Shannon, Toos Athlone. What's your take on it? Why are more students dropping out now than would have been the case pre-COVID. Text now 083-3010-103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Hillamore, the home of Offaly's top-selling car brand, Toyota. Midlands 103. Next on Midlands 103, imagine facing a 25-kilometre round trip because of a road closure. That's what some people living in the Athlone area are facing. And it's being described as a case study in exactly what not to do by the council. Have your say. Call the Midlands Today Show now. 0818 300 103. Midlands 103. Sometimes in order to make omelettes, you have to break eggs. And that can be the challenge for local authorities when they are improving roads. But... This next case is being described as a study in what not to do. And it's a road closure in the wider Athlone area, which Angus O'Rourke is going to tell us more about. He's a Fianna Fáil member of Westmeath County Council. Angus, good morning. Good morning, Will. Tell us more about the project. OK, well, I guess um, anyone who knows uh, Athlone knows of our difficulties in the past with with flooding, particularly in 2009 and 2015. But um, in recent years, well, we've been undergoing um, substantial work in um, flood defence works around that loan. And the, the works that you've, you've mentioned there, the road closure, um, is part of that work. Uh, it's, it's work that's, that's necessary to mitigate the risk of flooding around the Al River. OK, and roughly... How many residents would live along that stretch of road? Well, that stretch of road goes from Michael Moore's garage right across to to Golden Island Shopping Centre. You know, so um, you could have fifty residences uh, or more. Uh, so over hundred people probably uh, could be impacted by this. You know, um, so yeah, you described it there as, as I suppose the lesson on how not to do things. I, I I guess I described it as a case study and how not to close a road because um, a signage went up. Uh, I think it was last Friday, 
informing the residents that the road will be closed from this coming Monday. Uh, now, uh, that put everyone on the back foot, you know, because that's not how you do things. The first thing you should do is is consult, uh, you know, um, door to door or convene a meeting. So at least you can discuss uh, what the intentions are. Now, having said that, you know, this was published, it, it has planning permission to proceed and all of that. So it, it can't have come as, as um, a major surprise. But the timing of it, it was just landed on top of people with a few days notice. Uh, and and so for those who know the area, if you're living in the Golden Island, Carrick O'Brien, end of that loop road that goes, as I say, from Michael Moore's mm-hmm. through, to, through to Golden Island, uh, if you're living on the Athlone end, the Golden Island end of that, it's a long commute or a long diversion to have to go back out to Michael Moore's, past Clumbunny School, out onto the old Dublin road. And anyone who knows that road coming in, you know, from half eight in the morning, uh, knows the kind of congestion they'll meet. So it's a huge inconvenience uh, uh, to the people. It's 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 a lot to ask of the residents to take that commute, that diversion. Um, okay, and I think trying to imagine what the engineer's dilemma is. Mm. No matter the timing, no matter the level of consultation, the inconvenience is always going to be there if the project goes ahead. So, how would you avoid that, or is it possible? Well, we have a meeting at 11.30 um, this morning with the residents, the OPW, because they're, the OPW are, are carrying out the work on behalf of Westmead County Council. So uh, this is the meeting, I suppose, that should have happened before the signs went up and, mm. and, and frightened the life out of people. But um, it, it, there are a few questions I, I think I'd like to ask. Do we need to close the road at all? You know, Can we work uh, either side of the road um, while, while at least leaving part of the road open for, 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 for a period of time every day? to at least allow people to do the kind of commuting they need to do every day, rather than this four-week blanket closure. Um, the crane that comes in, I, I, you know, I, want to, I want to be certain that it needs to stay there, or, or is it mobile? Can it be moved off-site in the evening time? There's a few questions like that uh, we'd like to ask, and the, and the engineers would like to ask the OPW. So look, I guess we're, we're going in with an open mind. Um, the OPW are the ones who can answer these questions for us, and uh, we'll know more after half 11 today. All right. Um, how long, if, if it goes ahead, how long is the disruption likely to last? Well, there'll be two periods of closure. Uh, that's, that, that's the current plan. Um, and that, that current plan uh, means that for about four to five weeks from the 4th of March, which is Monday, the road will be closed. Uh, and then it'll reopen. Uh, and then as a culvert uh, work begins in, in July or August, I think, it'll be closed for another four to five weeks at that stage again. So there's two periods of closure, both are around the same kind of length of time. Um, so, so as I say, after half 11 today, I guess we, we'll know more in terms of um, what kind of flexibilities there might be around that. Angus O'Rourke, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Angus O'Rourke is a member of Westmeath County Council. And I'm very eager to hear from people who live in the area um, as to whether this is just an inevitable case of having to swallow the disruption in order to achieve the greater good, or could there be a better plan? 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp. Midlands Today with Tullamore Motors Opal. Take charge with the Opal 241 electric range. Available to order today. Choose your model and set off on your zero emissions journey. TullamoreOpal.ie Regarding the road closure in the Carrick O'Brien area of Athlone, Tom Cleary and many people in 
horse racing circles and equestrian will know Tom. He says there has been no consultation with residents on this road and there is an option available to have a temporary road inserted. He says the diversion will add an extra eight miles to his journey. So he's just one of many residents in the area unhappy with how this has been approached by the council and indeed the Office of Public Works. Now, on the subject of roads in Offaly, Tommy is in the Coolnahaili area and is very displeased with Offaly County Council. He says, it's not just around road. In Tullamore, we are paying our car tax for bad service. And it's a disgrace. And Offaly County Council needs to get its act together. It seems to be causing far more annoyance, Tommy, this year than in previous years. Tony is also in the Tullamore area and questioning where car tax is ending up. It's amazing other local authorities don't seem to have nearly the same amount of complaints generated. Is it because the roads are built on bogs or is it something else? I'll let you decide. Anyway, next hour, the rights expert shall be here. And on the list, passport challenges, dirty neighbours and a boss who won't give you your holidays when you want to take them. Love the Midlands. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, Karen in Mount Rath has two children with autism and she is a full-time mum. And she, like many others, is wondering, well, what sort of support can you get when your child has autism? The rights expert shall be here to deal with that. Dirty neighbours and passport challenges or headaches. Plus, Sinead Hubble gets lost in a wind farm. That's in around 15 minutes. When you call, 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. There are so many schemes that when you are living in an area and you want to apply for money to pay for a project, you could be forgiven for getting lost. There's Urban Regeneration and Development Fund, Town and Village Renewal Scheme, Vacant Property Refurbishment Grant. And today you're going to hear about the Town Centre First approach, which sounds well, but is it a buzzword? There are a number of towns in the Midlands highlighted in phase one of this, including uh, Rathdowney in County Leash, Clara in County Offaly, Moat in County Westmeath. Tip, uh, Ross Cray was in the first 26 and a further 26 have now been added as the next part of the initiative. So if you're living in Mount Melick or Ferban or Castle Pollard, then you will be on the list. Whatever that means and whatever benefit it brings, I suspect a man who will have the answer is Seamus Boland of Irish Rural Link, which is not a political organisation, so he's not here to promote and extol the virtues of anything announced by government. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, Will. Good morning. Help us to understand what the town centre first approach really means. Well, really, it's it's a response to demands being made uh, over the years, indeed by ourselves and Irish Rural Link and others, uh, to first of all acknowledge that the town centres have been taken a bashing all uh, for the last number of years 
uh, more people are leaving them, businesses are not staying, or no new, not many new businesses, shops are closing. The banks and, and post offices started the rot by being the first to leave uh, and start closing. So we end up with town centres or towns that are, they look dreary, they look terrible. So this has been a response to, for it to tidy up the town centres effectively and make them look well, dress them up a bit, put new facades and furniture, if you like, in the place. Uh, so it's all welcome from that perspective. Of course, is there enough money? No. But really, the next question, which is not yet answered, is how, are we now underpinning or can we underpin the dressing up uh, to, with an economic basis? And I'm afraid that hasn't happened really yet. Well, uh, we still have just a ask, lot of town suffering. Yeah, let me just ask about perhaps the lessons learned from some of the planning mistakes. So, for instance, where retail parks were granted permission on the periphery of towns and that was the death knell for many traders in the town centre. Has there been a change to that policy or will we repeat it again and again and again? And I think that's coming to my second question, Will. What are we doing to economically underpin all this dressing up and cleaning of town centres? And I'm afraid, uh, I have bad news there, that we, we haven't really redress the planning situation so that we stop that kind of outward ribbon type development of industry absolutely sucking the life out of the centre of towns, which they seem to be continue uh, to be doing. So we haven't done that. We haven't invited in uh, industry or businesses or whatever into the middle of towns either to start setting up new um, new shops, new businesses, new even even manufacturing, small manufacturing places uh, or other such uh, entities. So we are not doing that. And while this is welcome, it'll clean up the towns, etc. And it's a great thing to do. Uh, but if it's not underpinned by a change in the planning, then we'll be, we'll be trying to dress them up again in a few years' time. Let me play devil's advocate, and I can imagine many of our customers who have premises in the town centre will be unhappy with me asking this, but space in town centres is finite and obviously expensive, and there is a certain economic argument that if you build on the periphery, not alone is it more affordable for new businesses starting up, but also it's accessible for people to come in from other areas and surrounding hinterlands rather than choking up town centres. So is it a case of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, if you're a council planner? Well, OK. I, I mean, I, I do really and truly sympathise with, with people who have that job in councils. They have a very difficult job, and I know that. But the reality is that we have overdone the uh, the placing of businesses, large retail outfits um, outside of the town. And if you want business in town to flourish, you need football. football. You need people uh, in the towns. You need people going to town to do their normal business. You also need space for them. And that means looking at the way transport is, is organized one way or another, or looking at parking or looking at ways of bringing people from parking facilities outside. None of that thinking, Will, is really going on. So we, what we now have is kind of the worst of all worlds. We still have 
a planning situation that favours that kind of building of businesses or large scale businesses outside of the town. This thing is what it is. It's a good start. But it won't, on its own, encourage people to come back into the town because if you don't have football, you don't have customers for your business and you don't have businesses looking to re-establish it back in the middle of the town. Now, notwithstanding those concerns, let's take the glass-half-full approach for a moment and for people in Mount Mellick and in Forban and in Castle Pollard who want to constructively get the most out of this opportunity, what advice would you have? Well, my advice is, and indeed most as well, my my advice is very simple. The minister, and as I said, we've welcomed her statement and we've welcomed the the launch. And we've also welcomed the fact that they're asking the community to have a major say in all of this through the work of the local authorities. So my advice is this. Local development associations and groups need to organise themselves very quickly and they need to, they should be approached by the local authorities, but if they're not, they need to approach local authorities and they need to have a strong say. And I would even say not just the development associations, the various chambers of commerce or the business groups also need to approach the local authorities on this because if the minister is sincere, and I believe she is, that she wants the community and she wants the various stakeholders to be involved in this, then uh, this has to be encouraged. So I would be saying, don't be waiting to be contacted. Make the contact first. But I think if that happens in a real way, we might get some real bang for our book. Because um, I don't want, I think Irish Link would be saying, it's all very well sorting out the pavements and doing all that. We need a bit more than just spending the money on, on, you know, on, on, on pavements and stuff like that. We need a lot more than that. Seamus Boland of Irish Rural Link, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. The coordinator nationally for the Town Centre First scheme is a lady called Mairead Hunt, and I think we will invite Mairead onto the programme to talk about, well, some of the schemes already in phase one Rathdowney, Clara, Moat, Ross Cray. And if you live there, by all means, please give me your feedback on whether it made much of a difference. But also for the new towns coming in, Mount Mellick, Ferban and Castle Pollard, how to get the most out of the scheme. It is what it is. So let's assume glass half full, always. It's coming up on a quarter past 11. Rights expert on the way in just over 10 minutes. to protect brought to you by Midlands 183 the IBI and funded by Commission the Man with a television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more information on ours to protect today we look at wind farms and how local communities can benefit from them there are just over 300 wind farms in the Republic of Ireland and in 2019 a third of our electricity was produced by wind farms which avoided 3.9 million tons of CO2 emissions Yvonne O'Brien from Wind Energy Ireland says wind farm developers want to engage with local communities to find out their concerns. Most of us in Ireland agree that we're living in a, with climate change and in fact living in a climate emergency. 
as we all know, damaging and dangerous storms, forest fires, floods and unprecedented high temperatures are happening often and we don't want them to become our norm. Um, then Irish energy security, I would say, isn't in our own hands. The leader of an oil or gas producing nation has the power to send the Irish economy into crisis and drive up the cost of living for Irish people with the stroke of a pen. Wind farms take the sting out of rising energy prices by kicking more expensive fossil fuels off our grid. So the more wind and solar we can get on our electricity system, the further down we can drive wholesale prices of electricity and cut carbon emissions. Building renewables, wind and solar, is the best tool we have to drive down the price of electricity. Wind farm developers want to discuss their plans. They want to hear people's concerns and they want to be able to answer questions. They want communities to benefit from the transition away from fossil fuels and into renewables. And so engaging with people is really important. Building understanding through engagement is important in getting wind farms built uh, for our energy security to drive down electricity prices and to play our part in keeping our climate from becoming unlivable. So, yes, community engagement is really important to us. She says she believes it's important for people to ask questions if a development is planned for their area and to get involved in the process. Developers are happy to engage, I suppose, in any way that people are happy to engage. Um, Talking to each other is how we learn and develop. So every wind farm has a website. Uh, It will have a lot of information on it that people might be looking for in relation to a particular project. The Wind Energy Ireland website uh, is also available to people and has a lot of general information about wind energy. Every wind farm has a community liaison officer. Um, The number and contact details for that community liaison officer will be on the project's website. That person's job is to be contacted by people with an interest in that project, with an interest from that community or further afield. So they want to be contacted and they want to answer questions. Uh, Quite often, people will find that those community liaison officers will be in their communities. They'll call door to door at times, inviting people to talk to them about the wind farm and wind energy. They'll often be dropping information, giving updates, bringing people newsletters. They uh, can also offer you the opportunity to put yourself on the mailing list for a project and get updates by emails or get invitations to any events that are coming up. Wind farm projects hold consultations and information events, usually in the community near the wind farm that's proposed. Um, And those events can be in person or can be the likes of webinars or other things online. Uh, The community liaison officer and project team will be happy to point people to reputable reading material, to websites, so that people can inform themselves and come to their own conclusions uh, about wind energy. 
And they'll engage, as we're doing today, on local radio or in local newspapers so that people in the wider community can build familiarity with wind energy. So, yeah, it's lots of different ways and whatever way people are happy to engage, uh, people in the wind industry are happy to consider doing that. Bordnamona Renewable Energy has a community benefit fund as it believes it should enrich the quality of the life for people who live and work around its sites. Karina Denigan says the grants can be spent on a number of measures to improve lives in rural areas. She's inviting people who live beside their wind farms to get in touch with them. Communities um, around the wind farms can maximise the value from the community funds through various supports and strategies. We would strongly encourage communities to network with other communities that have existing funds in operation um, and share best practices from their experience of similar funds. Additionally, we would also recommend and encourage communities to seek professional advice for their project in their area. Um, One such example is through their local planning offices for projects that may involve construction or development work to ensure that by the time the funds open, um, that projects are shovel ready and have the necessary planning permissions in place, etc. if required. Also, ongoing engagement with other organisations in the local community is invaluable, such as the local authority, the local development companies, leader programmes, charities, your local public participation network, sustainable energy communities, tidy town groups and other community organisations who can provide guidance, advice and, and assistance in relation to the wider development of the community. These various organisations can also advise on other funding streams that may also be available to ensure that communities can maximise the full potential um, of the proposed projects in the region and source other forms of uh, support to maximise the development. So, for example, Offaly Local Development Company have done fantastic work with the community in Clonbalogue and they recently published their 10-year community action plan, which was supported by Bordnamona's Cloncreen Wind Farm. Um, Similarly, we are working with Offaly Local Development um, and the communities adjacent to our Durn Lock Wind Farm, which is currently under construction, in developing their community action plans in advance of that particular community benefit fund um, opening in 2025. For more information about wind farms and the Community Engagement Fund, see ours to protect.ie, see ours to protect.ie or there's a fact sheet on Midlands 103. Now, if there is anything in your area that you feel people should know about, a community project that deserves to be highlighted, and maybe we haven't mentioned it and we should mention it, well, always feel free to get in touch. And you can contact Sinead at research at midlands103.com. That's research at midlands103.com. This renewable energy feature is brought to you in association with Renewable Energy Ireland. Clean energy, secure energy, Irish energy. Renewable Energy Ireland. Still on the agenda today, rights expert. For instance, the dirty neighbours, how to deal with them. The boss who won't let you take your holidays when you want to take them. And if you have a child with autism, what sort of supports financially can you avail of? Love the Midlands. Love Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Time to meet the rights expert, the man with all the answers. We hope. 
Tom Walsh from the Tullamore Citizens Information Centre. Do you quit? Uh, <laughs> I knew that would throw you. I knew it would throw him. <laughs> Sorry about that, but uh, no, I can't. After Good do morning, you, anyway. Diaz Miraguet. Yeah, Diaz Miraguet. I couldn't remember. They see you put me on a spot there. <laughs> Anyway, the whole piece today is Oscar. Are you ready? Uh, I say, yeah, perfect. I'm the right ideal candidate. You should see what I got in my exams for Irish. 13%, I think. I think that's because I wrote the game. You beat me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down to business. Lisa is living in a mobile home. She's working full time. She's interested in the council rent to buy scheme. So she'd like to know more about the eligibility. She has very little savings. Her only income is from her job. So does she take the boxes? Yeah, there are two um, uh, schemes available. One is the tenant purchase scheme and uh, the other one is the rent to buy scheme. So I suppose tenant purchase scheme, I'll deal with that one first. What that is, is you're renting a property and then the landlord decides to sell the property then they can step in, uh, the government will step in and purchase it and then you would pay a bit up front and then pay rent and then at some stage you might decide to buy it. So because she's living in a mobile home, I suppose it doesn't apply in this particular situation. The other one then is the rent to buy scheme and that's where somebody finds a property, they apply for it and uh, the, the government will fess up and buy the property, then they will pay a certain amount to it, an agreed amount to, towards it, and then they will pay either stay on rent or pay it off as they're going along. When they're going to buy it, then eventually they will pay the balance that's due minus the, uh, the first bit that they've paid plus rent. So there's two schemes. My advice to um, to her at the moment, Lisa at the moment, is to call into one of the centres. We'll go through both in detail with her and explain the pros and cons of both of them to her. Next is Karen, and Karen has two children with autism, and she's a full-time mum. Her husband is also working full-time. Her query is whether they might be entitled to the fuel allowance. OK, to get fuel allowance... You must live with somebody who qualifies you, know, a certain list of people. Mm. You must get in a qualified social welfare payment. That's the important one. And satisfy a means test. So it is means tested. She, Karen, or, uh, Karen doesn't say whether she's in receipt of a carer's allowance for the two children, you know, because that would be a qualifying payment. Uh, again, I would say to her, because there's so little information on it, that if she calls into the centre, we we'll go through this. I'm go through the full circumstances. Maybe she hasn't applied for a carer's allowance, and she could be entitled to it. Maybe the children could be entitled to, you know, a, a payment as well. So th- there are various options open to her. But again, call into us, and we'll see. Liam is in Athlone and says his employer has refused his holiday request for next October, and won't give him a reason. He explained it's for his brother's wedding abroad, but the boss is not giving in. Nobody else in the company is off at this time. And he's wondering, can the boss do this? Yeah, what he needs to do is he needs to put it in. He's obviously talked to the boss informally, right? We always recommend that, but he's done that, right? So what he needs to do is put it in writing to the boss, explaining Look, I am applying for this. I'm giving you plenty of notice. It's next October. It's months away. And will you please then write back to me explaining 
what is going on and why you're not giving it to me. If the boss refuses to engage, he then can take a case to the Workplace Relations Commission because he has an entitlement to holidays. And obviously, unless the boss has a very good reason, now maybe the boss does have a very good reason, but at the moment it doesn't appear to be to uh, Liam. Mm. So, Based on the information we have, yeah. he's giving reasonable notice. Yeah. There doesn't appear to be a clash internally with other staff. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's, it's important if he puts it in writing and then he gets a written reply back from the boss. The boss may explain it quite e- easily and say, look, it's because this, this or this. But if there's instance, no reason... For instance, if the boss says, this is our busiest time of year, would that qualify? Yeah, well, again, it would be very uh, it'd be very unusual, the fact that nobody is allowed off at that point. You know, and again, it depends on the size of the business, what his role in the business is. You know, the boss has a certain amount of leeway as to when holidays can be taken. But... There has, there's also the other side of it too, that the employee has a certain um, legal liability or um, um, entitlement entitlement to the holidays. So put it in writing first. He can take a case to the WRC. It's very simple to do that. Again, if he's not satisfied, call it to the centre. We'll help him with the forms and how he goes about it. And there is a centre in Athlone, Liam, as well. Olivia is having a problem with her neighbours. They are dumping rubbish in the alleyway behind their houses. And now, here's her dilemma. She wants to report it to the council. She doesn't want her neighbours to know it was her who reported Mm. them to the council. She doesn't want rats and mice and worse coming in either. Well, the council have a responsibility to rubbish being dumped in common areas. They have a legal responsibility. Same as if you saw it on the street. They have to pick it up and clean it up and uh, deal with it. So I would contact the council and let them know that there's a problem there. If she's worried about the health, then the HSE gets involved in it because it's a public health issue then as well because vermin are there. So contact the council, the same as you would if you've seen rubbish all over the place. They may ask for her to put calls. I was about to say, if she calls and says, I'm Olivia so-and-so and and I live in such a place and... Uh, there's a neighbour across the way. Tom Walsh is his name and he's throwing stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can it can happen. It, it, it are can are happen. they going to go? They may do that. You see, it depends on the council official you actually deal with because you're going to have to make a formal, you know, in other words, you're mm. going to have to have a written complaint put into them because they won't deal with spurious, you know, just people ringing up and saying, I don't like my neighbour, will you get rid of him or whatever it is, you know. So they have to have something in writing from you. You can ask them. And say to them, look, I would prefer if you did not divulge my my information. And then they'd have to have a good reason to divulge it. Hmm. But like using you as an example, Tom Walsh yeah. has a right to his good name as well. Yeah. So uh, if they are taking a spurious case, that won't hold up in court. The council can't do that. They need a yeah. certain body of evidence. That's it. Yeah, no, no, you're right, and that's it. Believe it or not, I had a case similar to that a number of years ago where I lived. A neighbour was creating havoc. And because it was on their property, the council said it's nothing to do with us, which was right, because the council only deals with whatever's in the common Common area. area. But because there was the danger of vermin, the HSE did step in and got it sorted out. Martin is in Port (coughs) Leash. He also has an issue with his neighbours. Must be something in the... Is there a full moon? Anyway, 
his problem is one of noise and mm. he's living in a flat and obviously the noise travels easily in such buildings. Yeah. What so, to do? Yeah, the problem is that there's nothing, there's no sort of noise level set out in law saying that if it goes above 20 decibels or 100 decibels or whatever it is, it, it's a nuisance at that stage. So there's nothing set out that way. If he has, has he tried contacting the, the so okay, we'll take it that he has contacted the neighbour and said to the neighbour, look, this is not acceptable. So then what he does is he contacts the owner of the flat or the apartment. So taking it that it's rented. And he says to the owner then, look, I have this problem. If I take a case, you're the one that's going to have to answer for it, not the tenant. And oh. a lot of times, yes, the property owner is the one that's responsible. So, what a lot if of times, the owner is an institution. Well, that's uh, <laughs> you'd have to get legal advice on that. How they would respond to it? Because generally, if it's somebody who owns the property, say like, and I give you an example, your next door neighbour, and they're causing a problem, and they're renting out the property, and you ring up your next door neighbour or the person who owns the property next door to you, and you say, "Look, there's going to be a problem here. I'm going to have to take a case." But you're the one that's going to have to hire a solicitor to defend it. A lot of times they will have a word with the tenant and say, look, mm. this is this is now going to affect me. Hope you're listening, Budgie. And that's what it, you know, that's the way you deal with it first and foremost. Now, as far as uh, this by the way, for, for the record, for the record, I have a great neighbour and he, he, he's, he's very nice to deal with. Yeah, he can take a case to the district court. That's what I'm saying to you about that. He could also make a complaint to Angarda Shikana or the EPA because they are the ones that control the environment. You know, the, 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 the EPA will call First, like I said to you, the first protocol is always to the person there. If it's a real nuisance, the guardie will respond at night time. You know, there's a party going on at three o'clock in the morning. The walls are shaking the Gardaí will respond to it. I've, I've seen where cases where Gardaí respond to it. So there are various options open to him. If the property, like I say, is rented, and if he's in a rented, he could take a case to the, the, the RTA, you know, the Residential Tenancy Board or the RTB. You know, there are various things. And because he hasn't said whether it's local authority, so if it's a local authority house or apartment, which they are, event, you know, they are around, then the local authority is liable for it. So it's the owner of the property is liable for it. The problem a lot of people have found in recent years is that local authorities do not want to evict tenants anymore because politically it is yeah. suicide and they don't do it. And therefore it's harder and harder to enforce those tenant codes of conduct. Yeah, that's, as they said, that's a different <laughs> question. But you're right, you know, it is, it is hard for people who are living and you want to live a quiet life and somebody is really upset with it. You know what? Oh, I am grateful for good neighbours. Denise is in Edenderry, wants to get a passport for her son. She is separated from the child's father. He has returned to the UK. So she's wondering, can she apply for a passport without his signature? Yes, it can be done. There's no doubt about it. It can be done. I'm sensing it, a but. No, no, there's no but. It's it's just it's not that complicated to do. If you're not in touch with the child's parent or guardian, or if the child parent refuses to give consent, so so the father is gone, I can't contact him. Or if he just says I don't want to know, don't want to deal with you at all, 
She can apply to the district court for a court order which will allow the passport service to issue the passport without consent. That can be done. Now, if she's the sole guardian, because a lot of times in situations was, particularly where they sort of there was a relationship that broke up quite quickly and he didn't get involved in it, he mightn't have applied for guardianship and might not have been granted guardianship. So if she's the sole uh, guardian, you will have to provide an affidavit, AFF1, to do it. Call into the centre. We will download the, 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 the affidavit. We will help her fill it in. And then she gets that um, signed um, in the presence of a solicitor or a commissioner of oaths. Now, there's commissioners of oaths around. And again, we would give her a list of the local mm, commissioner mm. of oaths so that she could go to them as well. It's not that complicated. It's a little bit of paperwork involved in it, but it can be done. Again, citizens' information can demystify a lot of that. Yes. Katrina says her daughter is living abroad <clears throat> and her Irish licence is up. I assume she means driving licence, does she? I gather that, yeah. So Katrina's wondering, can she renew it for her daughter? Yeah, well, I, I was assuming it was the driving licence because my answer is based on the fact that it's a driving licence, yeah. Well, you have 10 years from the time a driving licence expires to renew it without having to reset the test and do all the things. If it goes over the 10 years, you've got to go through the system again. So the fact that she's living abroad has no bearing on it at all. She's still entitled to a, a driving licence. My advice be, would be to the next time she's home, so she's planning to come home, we'll say next July she's coming home. If she contacts the National Driving Licence Test or the, the, the Driving Licence Centre and makes an appointment for the time when she's home, she can go in and get it done there and then. It's Again, it doesn't make any difference the fact that she's out of the country, but she needs to do it herself when she comes home. Gotcha. A listener in Stradbally <coughs> says they are behind on their electricity bills and like so many others, they just can't get on top of them. This person is retired. They're really afraid they're going to be cut off. What should they do? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. They, they would be considered what they call vulnerable customers. So the, 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 the government brought in a legislation or a piece of law about protecting vulnerable customers that they could not be cut off uh, between the 1st of October 23 and the 31st of March 2024. So immediately they're not going to be cut off. My advice to her, the fact that they're struggling to meet the bills, they have a problem with their sort of uh, finances. My advice would be, if they could, make an appointment with MAPS. Money, and, advice and Yeah, the Money, Service. Advice and It's a sister organisation of ours. So they're generally co-located with the Citizens Information Service around the, the, the country. If she makes an appointment to see them, a money advisor will sit down and help her with the budget. But they will also contact various organisations like the electricity supplier and work out a plan on how it's going to be paid back. Do you have to pay for this service? No, it's like ourselves, the sister organisation of ourselves. It's completely free and independent. So they are, as I say, like us, except they specialise only in money advice. And they will help her no end. And, it, and the thing about it is, <clears throat> when you don't have problems financially, you don't realise how stressful it is on people. 
and there's somebody who's who's you know they're retired. They know that their income is not going to go up, so they're going to have to live in the budget that they have. So they just need a little bit of help to sort out the problems. Why are we in this situation? And somebody outside, like a MAB's money advisor, will be the perfect person to do that for them. Good, good to know it's there. Paul Infraban says his car was damaged in a hit and run, which he has reported to the Gordae. But he's wondering, is there somebody he can contact about covering the cost of the damage? Because much like our last caller, he doesn't have the money. Yeah, yeah. The most important thing there was he reported it to Gardaí. Mm. That's the most important thing about it. Because there is a Motor Insurers Bureau of Ireland who will help with the costs of people who have no insurance or hit and runs. But the, most, the one thing that they're going to insist on was the accident reported to the Gardaí, which he said it was done. So that's critical. That's critical. If you are the victim of a hit and run, don't just resign yourself. Yes, you know. exactly. Take the assertive action of contacting the guards. Get, make sure there's a report done on it first and foremost. And then you can contact the Motor Insurers Bureau of Ireland. They're based in Dublin. But uh, again, just look them up or again call into the centre and we'll help them contact them as well. And that's what they're set up to do. They have a, they get a, a certain amount of money off all of the insurance companies to cover things like that. Can we squeeze in one more at no extra charge? Darren is in Burr and he asks, what grants are available to renovate your home for an older person who had a stroke and is due to return from hospital? He says his dad only has an upstairs bedroom and an upstairs bathroom. So he's wondering, is there maybe a grant for an extension? His dad owns the house, but he doesn't have the money to build yeah, what's there, needed. Yeah, there, there are. There, there, there is. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say there are various grants available in this situation. One bit of advice I'll give him first or foremost is before he applies for them all, if he gets some supporting medical you know, um, documentation, evidence from the GP or the consultants or whatever it is, because when you're making the, 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 the application, I always think, you know, the more information you give the people you are applying to for whatever it is, the easier it is for them to make a decision rather than having to go back to you. So that's the first piece of advice. So there is a housing adaptation grant for people with a disability. That would be in this situation. Uh, the maximum grant is 30000 there is a mobility aids grant, maximum of 6000 There's a housing aid for older persons scheme, which is run by the local authorities. And the local authority also has a local authority home improvement loan. And uh, what did we say? There's something else. Yes. And depending on the work need to be done, you may qualify for the better energy warmer home scheme. So mm. not only... Is there a grant available to, we say, put down, uh, put in a downstairs toilet and maybe a, a, a walk-in shower and uh, maybe a bedroom, you know, but also you might also get the, house, the whole house insulated at the same time. And generally speaking, <clears throat> do you get the money before the work is done or do you have to have that cash yourself no. to pay the builder? No, the one that comes from the local authority, because again, I've had personal experience with a family member. What they did was they applied for it. They needed, because of their disability, they needed a, a new walk-in bathroom. 
So what they did was to contact the local authority. Now, again, this depends on the local authorities because somebody in Cork was telling me recently that they had to go and find the builder and do all the work. Mm. The one, the other person I knew locally a number of years ago, the council gave them a recommended list of builders to do it. So the, the, the council did, came along, they did an assessment, what needs to be done. The builder came along, did the job. And when you're doing that, you can only get one contractor in to do it because the council won't pay multiple contractors. So one person comes in, does the building, signs off at the end of it. They come in, do the, the examination. You may have to pay a small percentage of it and then they will issue the cheque to the builder. Great. A lot we didn't get through today, unfortunately, yes. Tom, but plenty of opportunity to pick Tom's brain or any of, any of his colleagues, for that matter, at the plenty Citizens Information Centres right across the Midlands. Yes, and they are opened to drop-in services all over the country in the mornings from 9.30 to 1pm and then in the afternoons they're open for appointment only. And don't forget about MABS as well, the Money oh, Advice. Very much, they're, they're co-located. Tom, very, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Will. Disagree? Feel free. Text to WhatsApp Midlands today yeah. on 083 103. Midlands 103. You know how much trouble you'd be in if you forgot a wedding anniversary? Well, at least if you only have to remember it once every four years, then you can't get in that much trouble, surely. Jared Salmon is in Ballycumber in County Offaly. Morning, Jared. So this is a big, big day in your house. When did you get married, sir? It was 2012, Well. So does that mean you're celebrating your 12th wedding anniversary? Third. Third. So explain then on the other years, when there isn't a leap day, when do you agree to celebrate it? The closest that we say to the weekend, so it's either 24. 28th or the 1st, whichever is, whichever gets closer to a weekend. Okay, well that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. So, take us back to 2012 then. Did she get down on one knee or did you get down on one knee? Oh, I got down on one knee, but it was herself that decided on the date. It was, I got down a few months before that, but she decided on the date. <laughs> oh, I see. So, you were told two months prior, get up out of that and wait until the 29th. Was that it? That's it. And what she says goes. Her word is law. Her word is law. Happy wife, happy life. So how did you do it on the 29th? What was the setup? Oh, no, it was just a, a standard affair. Wasn't that, and there was no great setup on it. It was just a standard affair, wasn't it? I'm not one for, for uh, being very fleshy. And where did you pop the question? Uh, it was actually in, in Tullamore. We were walking up the street outside um, one of the children's and as, as romantic as I said, what about him? Rings the window, you won't want him. <laughs> and she picked out the ring there and then, did she? Yeah, she picked out the ring and went in and went, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one. Anyway, you can only have one of them. So it was, uh, I'll have that one then, please. So, I love this. You, you got married on the 29th of February. Yeah. Um, and again, this is her decision. So, yes. 
on the day itself, did you realise, hmm, I'm going to be able to save on presents? Or did you think, hang on, maybe I'll have to double up on the amount of presents? Oh, I was, I was informed. You're going to have to do a double, Johnny. There's no, there's no missing out here. Double. <laughs> well, does it go both ways, though? Uh, it does. I can't, I can't fault her on that. She, does. she looks after me well. We haven't mentioned this lady's name. It's Corla. Is she listening? See, oh, or I, I, well, I'm not sure if she's listening or not, to be honest with you. She, she maybe if she's, if she's near the radio, she'd be listening. She'd listen to 103 the whole time, so... So what would you like to say to her on this, your third stroke, twelfth wedding anniversary? All I can say is she looks as beautiful today as she did the day she walked up the aisle to me. Only three years ago, plus that. Oh, not three years ago, yeah. <laughs> What's the plan for later, Jared? Uh, no real plan as of yet, just we'll see where the evening takes. It depends on what time I get finished work at, to be honest. I can't, I can't make plans until I know what time I finish work at. What do you do for a living? Uh, I drive for a living. And are you the boss yourself? No, no, no. I Oh, God. I No, no. I wouldn't have the brains for that. No, no. Does, does the boss know the significance of the day that the other boss is waiting? Um, well, I'd say to have a suspicion. I, I've been dropping a few hints. I should get the suspicion, but we'll see. Jared, get home as soon as you can. <laughs> I have a feeling it'll be worth your while. Hopefully, anyway, hopefully. Well, as long as I don't get a slap and I go home, it'll be all right. <laughs> if you do, I want popcorn and watch. Take care. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Phil. And a happy anniversary to all who are celebrating, or indeed, a happy birthday, if it's your leap birthday. And we heard earlier from little Emily in Mullingar. She's three or 12-ish today. Thank you, Sinead Hubble, for putting it all together. Thank you for listening. Let's talk tomorrow morning from nine. Take care. Bye-bye. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.